Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. Greetings, friends of Experience Christian Church. I'm Lee, Lee Magnus. My wife, Pat, and I have one official duty at at Experience Christian Church. We're the co-captains of the cheerleading squad for Matt and Carrie and all the folks at ECC. I'm grateful that Matt has also given me yet another opportunity to join him in the teaching series on Toxic that he's been leading us through. This week, he's asked me to preach from God's Word about toxic things. Now, I want to make it clear that uh, this toxic series is about identifying things and uncovering aspects in our lives that poison our relationship with God or make us um, unhealthy in our relationships with other people. Toxic things is my category. And by toxic things, I don't mean that I'm going to be identifying which things in our lives, which material possessions are toxic and which ones are healthy. What we're going to be talking about is our overall attitude toward possessions, kind of the cumulative effect of our possessions. So we're not going to be talking about the materials in our lives. We're going to be talking about materialism as a concept. And here's my definition of materialism. It's whenever our possessions poison our personal relationships with God or with others or with ourselves. Okay? Materialism. Whenever our possessions poison our personal relationships with God, with others, and with ourselves. I don't know about you, but I do struggle with materialism. I always have. Long before I could define the word or maybe even knew the word, and certainly long before I understood how materialism uh, impacted my Christian commitment, I knew materialism. I can remember back when I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old and was an avid reader of pirate stories, how I decided that my eight-year-old life really wasn't right until I had treasures and a treasure chest. Well, I knew I had a few treasures. I had some really old coins that uh, my father had given me. One was a buffalo nickel and one was an Indian head penny. I had a few souvenirs that I had gotten on our first and so far only trip to Florida, and I had an Indian arrowhead that had been found on the back of our farm. So I had the treasures, and I had a metal hinged box that I thought would work pretty well as a treasure chest. So I put my treasures, my eight-year-old boy treasures, in my treasure chest. But I knew from reading my pirate stories I had to do one more thing. You have to bury the treasure. So one late summer day, I walked back through our farm in northeastern Maryland down to Plumtree Run, and there in a little sandbar along the 
the bank of the run, I dug a hole and buried that treasure chest deep in there with my treasures. I marked the spot carefully, and then I waited through the fall and through the winter and most of the spring. And one warm June day, I went back to check on my treasure. I found the spot right away, and when I did, I dug down in that warm, wet sand, and there it was, my treasure chest, totally rusted away. And my treasures were nowhere to be seen, washed somewhere, who knows how far, down Plum Tree Run. I'll tell you what, some kind of childish disappointment or depression almost just washed over me. And clearly, I haven't gotten over it even today, right? I, I still can remember the lingering sorrow I felt that day. You want to know why? Because I had met materialism. I was thinking about materialism just recently. In fact, on Super Bowl Sunday, which was just a few weeks ago, uh, Pat had asked me if I wanted any special food to eat while we were watching the big game. And she knew what my answer would be, but she asked anyway. She knew I would say Dorito chips. Uh, but this year, when I said Dorito chips, this idea of materialism flashed into my mind, and I came to a sudden realization. Materialism is like a bag of potato chips. Yeah, it, it really is. First, materialism is like a bag of chips because when you open the bag, it's only half there, right? The rest is just stale air. Second, materialism is like a bag of chips because what is in there may not be all that good for you in the first place. Third, even though potatoes aren't inherently bad, chips, potato chips, are covered with some of the nastiest stuff imaginable, right? Salt and um, saturated fats and, and the list goes on and on. Just read the label. Fourth, People insist on connecting foods that are not good for you, like Dorito chips, to some of the most fun events in life. What's with that, huh? Picnics and parties and Super Bowls, huh? Why the connection? And fifth, materialism is like a bag of chips because as even chip makers freely admit themselves, you can't eat just one. And that, by the way, is the very definition, the literal meaning of an old-fashioned Bible word that we don't use much anymore, but it's a pretty good word, covet, covetousness. It means the desire, the need, the want to have more, and then some more, and then more, and more, and more. Well, now you know one of my mores, right? Dorito chips. How about you? What's your more? More food? More drink? More clothes? More drugs? More shoes? More toys? How about more money? More perks? More power? More influence? Oh, if Pat was here, she'd tell you more chocolate. 
whatever your more is, whatever our more may be, a life lived mainly for more is a covetous life. It's a materialistic life. It's a potentially toxic life liable to poison our relationship with God or with others or with ourselves. Well, if materialism is that toxic, that dangerous, that potentially destructive, how in the world are we, Christ followers, going to deal with it? I say Christ followers because I always answer questions like that by asking, how did Jesus deal with situations like that? What did Jesus teach about that concept or that practice? I, I ask that because if we are going to be Christ followers, if we want to be, if we choose to be Christ followers, then we want to model our lives after the Master. So how did Jesus deal with materialism? Well, let me tell you a really fascinating story about an encounter that Jesus had one day with a young man. Um, the, the young man was both wealthy and politically influential. We usually refer to him as the rich young ruler. And the encounter that Jesus had with the rich young ruler really reveals a lot about Jesus' views on materialism and his instruction to his disciples about how to deal with it. So let me read you the story of the encounter. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. It's in chapter 19 and begins in verse 16. Here's what it says. Someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to get eternal life? Well, if you want to receive eternal life, Jesus replied, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Well, that's the story. The first thing I want to look at with you is that rich young ruler and what he was focused on throughout this conversation. The first thing I notice is that the rich young ruler was focused on doing, doing more. What other good deed do I need to do, he asked. What else must I do? Second, the rich young ruler was focused on getting, getting 
more on earning eternal life. And third, the rich young ruler was focused on having, having more, for he had many possessions. But not Jesus. Oh, Jesus understood the reality of money. He understood the reality of money in, in his life, in his disciples' lives, and in this young man's life. The powerful effect of material possessions on, on the young man's decisions. And that's why he said, what you need to do is sell your possessions and give away the proceeds. You need to give your more to the poor. But Jesus wasn't mostly concerned about the young man's money itself. He was mainly concerned about the effect of the young man's use of his resources on his relationships. So let's look back at the encounter now and see what Jesus was focused on. First of all, Jesus focused on the man's relationship with God. You need to live in obedience to God's will, he said. You need to strive for spiritual maturity. You need to yield to the lordship of God. That's why Jesus talked about the laws, the commandments, because he needed to live a life of obedience. Don't kill, don't, don't steal, don't commit adultery. That's why he talked about that word perfect. It literally means mature. He says what you need to do is eliminate the things in your life that are blocking your spiritual maturation. And that's why he used phrases like kingdom of God and, and kingdom of heaven, because he said that this young man needed to submit his whole life to the lordship, to the sovereignty of God over every aspect of his life. So first, Jesus focused on the young man's relationship with God, but then he went on, and second, focused on the young man's relationship with other people. Did you hear what Jesus said? Honor your parents, love your neighbor, give to the poor. It's not about what you have, it's about your relationships and how you use what you have to be barriers or to encourage those relationships. Jesus is saying, hold your possessions loosely, ready to relinquish them at any time to meet the needs of others near and far. And third, Jesus focused on the young man's relationship with him. He focused on the young man himself and his personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, you need to remove your barrier to your relationship with me, which in your case is your wealth, your riches. For the rich young ruler, giving was only the first step, a necessary step, but only a first step. The young man's destination, Jesus said, as it is for all of us, was come, follow me. So, what do I learn from Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler about materialism? I learned that to avoid materialism, I need to view my possessions differently. I need to view them in the context of obedience to God's whole will. 
I need to view my possessions in the context of my own steady spiritual maturation. And I need to view them in the context of submitting to the sovereignty of God in every area of my life. I also learn that to escape materialism, I need to give my possessions generously to family members in need, parents, to neighbors in need, love your neighbor as yourself, and to anyone in need, give to the poor. And I learn that to root out the root of all evil, which is what the Apostle Paul calls the love of money, I need to remove, to root out materialism, especially if for me, it's become one of the barriers to fully following Jesus. So by giving away more and more of my livelihood, that is by being generous, I free myself up to give more and more of my life to the Lord, that is to follow Jesus. Impossible, <laughs> Jesus' first followers responded, and Jesus surprisingly answered, uh, you're right, I agree. If you allow your possessions to poison your relationship with God or with others or with yourself, it is impossible. But if you put your trust in God, not in yourself and not in your possessions, then God can indeed crush the manacles of materialism and our mania for more and more and more. So there's some insight into Jesus' attitude toward materialism. But you know what? God has always cared about materialism. You can be sure that God cares about anything that can poison so many important aspects of our lives. It's way back in the Old Testament. Uh, there in the Law of Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, we read these interesting words. For when you've become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Don't become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. This is so you will never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth by my own strength and energy. Be careful, Moses warns. Materialism can make you forget God and his care for you. It can refocus our attention onto ourselves as if the goodness we experience is a result of our greatness rather than God's grace. And it's up in the New Testament, too, this same concept. Uh, listen to the Apostle Paul in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Watch out, Paul warns, 
materialism can tempt you to make choices that just don't match up with God's will. It can shift you from wise, healthy desires to foolish and harmful desires. It can literally divert you from the path of faith. So, from the Old Testament to the New, from Moses to Paul, the Bible warns us about the dire consequences of materialism. But, wherever and whenever the Bible warns, it also makes a way. There are, in fact, alternatives, antidotes to the poison of materialism. The first one is contentment. You probably know that the Apostle Paul was always on the move, right, on his missionary journeys. But Paul was not a rolling stone. I know rolling stones. The rolling stones can get no satisfaction. But that wasn't true of Paul. Listen to Paul pushing back against materialism. He writes in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 12, I have learned how to live on practically nothing or with more than enough. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. What a, what a fabulous attitude of contentment, of sufficiency Paul has. And I, I want to be clear that that this is the opposite of the kind of uncertainty that many people live with uh, day by day in their lives, including financial uncertainty. Paul had that too. He never knew when he was going to get money from a supporting congregation, when he was going to have to stop his missionary uh, endeavors and get a job at a tent-making shop, or when he was just going to have to live on practically nothing. Paul faced financial uncertainty and insecurity. And my goodness, haven't we faced some of those kinds of insecurities this past year or so? I mean, financially speaking, everything is up in the air, right? Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us have been furloughed from our jobs. We don't know if we're going to go back ever or never. And even those of us who haven't lost jobs have have faced uncertainty in our retirement income, what's happening with our 401k, what's happening with our IRAs, are our wages going to go up and down, is there going to be a stimulus check or not, if so, how much or how little, what about the fluctuating of gold and oil and Bitcoin and the U.S. dollar. I mean, the uncertainty is everywhere, financially speaking. And Paul says, I have learned, I, I have learned how to live in that situation of financial uncertainty <clears throat> with a deep and abiding contentment. Now, just to make sure we're clear here, Paul does not say that that contentment is something that just naturally wells up from within us if we exert enough resolve. Not at all. Because Paul goes on in the very next verse to name the source of our contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, where he writes, I'm strong. I have a sense of ability in all circumstances. Why? Through the one who empowers me. 
He's talking about God. Contentment comes from God. Contentment comes from trust, not in ourselves, not in our possessions, but in God. There's a second alternative, antidote to the poison of materialism, and that's generosity. Jesus taught generosity. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul taught generosity, teaching the teaching of Jesus, sharing about sharing. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, listen to this. Paul writes, if you're a thief, quit your stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work so that you can give generously to others in need. Isn't that fascinating? I would have expected Paul to say, do Use your hands for good hard work so that you'll have enough to care for yourself and your family. No, he doesn't say that. So you'll have enough to give generously to those who are in need. Why do we have jobs? Why do we go to work every day? I'm talking now about Christ followers. Turns out, from a Christian perspective, it's not about getting a salary. It's about having something to share with others. We're not earning a living after all. We're earning a giving. So, God cares about materialism. And God is aware of how toxic materialism can be. And he offers some positive alternatives, contentment and generosity. Well... Now that we know what materialism is and how dangerous it is, now that we know what God's attitude toward it and how Jesus dealt with it, now that we know that there are some wonderfully positive antidotes that we can apply to it, what in the world are we going to do about it? I guess it's time to get practical. And so I want you to listen to one more passage with me that makes some really practical suggestions about dealing with materialism. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. This is another letter written by the Apostle Paul. And that passage says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound for you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. First, Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. In other words, plan to give, plan what you're going to give, and give what you planned to give. Make a giving plan, make a giving commitment, and stick to it. Second, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, give, give freely, and give cheerfully. Give because people are in need, but also give because you are in want wanting to give. 
Third, God is able to make all grace abound to you. In other words, give as a response to God's grace, God's free gift in Jesus Christ. Don't give to get a reaction. Give as a reaction. Give because God has already given to you. Fourth, having all sufficiency, contentment in all things at all times. In other words, give out of a sense of contentment in any and all circumstances. Give as if you have enough, however much or little you may have. Because if you have God in your life, you have enough. And finally, abounding in every good work. In other words, give as an overflow of the good work that God has called you to. Let's pray together. Oh God, we pray that you help us to make every good work a gift and make every gift a good work. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know Him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.